Um, so here we are, Parshas Miketz. We're getting close to the end of Voracious, and we have lots of stuff going on in here. Miketz, parenthetically, is always in or around Hanukkah. So you do have some of that overlap of stuff that's happening. Um, one, of the, one of the beautiful thoughts that I saw was just like last week, Yosef's story. He right, we finish, he's in jail, and the butler forgets him, blah, blah, blah. Uh, and it's kind of like how does this story end? So Hanukkah, we also end up with that place of like, we don't see salvation. We don't see how this is actually going to work. And then all of a sudden things turn around very, very quickly. When they, when it's time for them to turn around, it doesn't take a long time, but it's, it's, but it, but it, but that, but that, but <laughs> chipping over my own words, but it does, it does, it does turn over pretty quickly. And then we end up having things pulling together. Okay. So Parshas Miket starts, starts off, obviously, there's at the end of two years and all of the Parshas say like two years of, well, who, what are we talking about two years? Right. So it's automatically linking us to last week's Torah portion. And the end of last week's Torah portion, I said Yosef was in jail. And the Mepharshim all tell us that because he asked the butler for help in getting out of, um, getting out of the jail, um, he got punished with, uh, with two more years in jail. He gets punished with two more years in jail. And, um, and something that we touched on last week, so I'm, I'm, not, I'm just going to like mention it, not really go into it. Like, what's the balance between doing your effort and relying on Hashem? Like at what point was what Yosef did excessive and Yosef Hatsadik. So he like ends up being judged very, very strictly, like getting two more years in jail. That seems pretty intense. Um, whereas for us, maybe that type of, of um, level of, of our involvement would be kind of very low, you know, whatever would be considered. So, so not relying on God that we ask for human help, but for Yosef, it really was. And that's, I think something is also, it's a very important thing to sort of keep in the back of our minds. Like what's the balance between what I do and what, I should, what I just, you know, give over to God. Um, so Para has this, oh, so, so the Mepharshim talk about the idea that the end of these two years, this is when Yosef's end of jail time kicks in. So it's not actually talking about Para, it's talking about Yosef. It's kind of, the whole story is going to be, you know, we're going to be uh, going a little bit back to Para. And we know that Para has the dreams. What are his dreams, Adina? What's his first dream? Grain is his second. What's his first dream? Oh, cow. cows. Right. He starts off with his dream of cows, um, the fat cow, the fat cows, and the skinny cows, and he has the thing. Um, and uh, I want to come and actually, you know, let's do it now, and then we'll talk about other stuff afterwards. So, a couple of things. First of all, um, so we know he has he has a dream about cows, and then he has a dream about grains. And Mary Torsky says a very very powerful thing. He says, first of all, what happens after his dream with the cows? He has another dream. Before he has the other dream, what happens? He woke up. Before <laughs> Vishan, he goes back to sleep. In verse five, he goes back to sleep. Before he can wake up, he can go back. He goes back to sleep, right? He goes to sleep. Vishan, in verse five. Pharaoh woke up. What's in five? How does five Before. start? He slept. Correct. No, four, four. He has it. He wakes up, right? He All has right. this dream and he wakes up. And then in five, he goes back to sleep, right? Yeah. He goes to sleep and then he has another dream. So Rytorsky says that very often in life, he just back up a second. He says, what happens with Haro? He sees a dream of cows. 
which is definitely something, uh, you know, something big, but it's not necessary for life. It's not light. We have some people I'm sure are going to agree with me. You don't need this to live, but because you don't need the cows, you don't need meat to live. Right. But what does he do? He goes to sleep and now it's affecting the grain and the grain becomes a much more, that's, that's much more staple in life. Right. So Rabbi Tversky says, there are times in our lives that we see something like that needs to be fixed. Something like whatever, it's a little weird. Like we have to take care of this, but we look at it as like, doesn't really matter. It's like the cows. It's not so important. I could live with that. I don't have to deal with this media. I don't have to deal with that thing that's needs to be fixed because it's not really critical. It's not critical to who I am or what I am or what I do. It doesn't really matter. And we go back to sleep and we ignore fixing behavior that really should have been fixed. And when we ignore it, then we end up with a grain critical mass issue of, oh shoot, now what do we do? Right. And then, then, then what is something that would have been so easy to take care of when it was at the non, um, uh, what's that word? Non-critical point, it could have been fixed easily or easier. And now because we waited, because we slept on it, because we went back to sleep, then it becomes, then it becomes something much, much bigger and such a, now what do we do? You know, and that's, that I thought is, it's, you know, I, I, I saw it years ago and it's something that really stuck with me because it's such a powerful thing. Like how many times you just, it doesn't really matter. It doesn't really matter. Then all of a sudden, you know, whatever. And then all of a sudden it's really a much bigger deal. Okay. And then all of a sudden the butler remembers Yosef and he says, oh, there's this kid who can do it. Um, and, and so they bring Yosef up and Yosef interprets the dreams. And what does Yosef say? What does Yosef say? Right. So he says to them, first of all, he, the, the Rashi points out that he's quite disparaging in how he discusses Yosef, this young lad, blah, 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 whatever. So they go and um, they're ready to like pull him up out of the pit and take him to power. Yosef's like, pause, shower, change clothes, get a haircut. Like, you know, you only get one chance to make a first impression. Like he's like, gonna, he's going to do this properly. Um, Hasidus talks about the idea of, of also being we know clothes, we know clothes, we talk about garments. It's the most external part of our behavior. And Yosef is that part of us that recognizes that different situations call for different, not just physical clothes, but different types of interactions. And the garments that we need in prison are not the same garments that we need when we're going to be dealing with the head of state, not just physical garments, but like we're going to be, not that he's going to be you know, whatever he's, he's very clearly in his speech. He's extremely humble about power system. Oh, I hear you can interpret dreams. He's like, no, it's not me. It's God. He isn't just playing a role. He, this is really, this is his instinctive reaction. This is instinctive uh, response, you know, based on what his education ha has been up until now. Like, you know, his, his formative years with his father, at this point, he's been away from home for a very, very long time. Right, the Torah is going to tell us in a few verses that he's 30 years old before he stand when he stands before Paro. He sold when he's 17, so this is a long chunk of time that he's. You know, I was trying to figure out because I, in my head, I thought that he was in jail for 10 years. When I actually looked into different commentators, commentators to see what they say, the the jury is out. Shockingly enough, <laughs> shockingly enough, the jury is out. Did he spend the the bulk of these last 13 years? as Potiphar's head of house 
and then have a year in prison before the butler and the baker have their dream. And then he has two more years. That would give you your 13. Or was he for a year by Potifar and then 10 years in jail and then they come up? But either way, it's going to be a long time. Um, so I, I, I don't have the I don't have a definitive answer for how long he actually was in jail. Um, um, how did I get here? Oh, oh. So when he says when he when Power says, "Oh, you could do this. You can you can interpret dreams," he's like, "No, no, Sashem." Like it's it's an instinctive reaction of 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 acknowledging that his the source of his brachas are from Hashem, not that oh, I'm so great, I'm so amazing. Let me make an impression on this world leader because like. I don't want to blow it this time, but his, his instinctive reaction is to say, it's from Hashem. It's not me. It's really from, it's in, one second, uh, uh, in, in verse 16, uh, chapter 41, verse 16. Because in, in 15, he says, I hear that you, you can you can hear dreams and you can interpret them and Yosef answers part and he says no no Bilada it's not me God will answer you know I'm like kind of a conduit for Hashem so then Paro uh, tells him his dream and if you actually look at what Paro tells him he doesn't give him all the details of the dream and the Medrash actually says that Yosef had the same dream before when he was in jail he had the same dream as Paro so when he heard the dream from Paro he knew that there were parts of the dream that were missing and he also knew he had already you know, knew kind of where to, where it was going to go. And he, so he tells him that it's, it's, it's one dream. The two things means that it's happening very quickly. And, um, and, and he says, you're going to have seven years of plenty. You're going to have seven years of famine. And he continues and he says that this is what you need to do. You need to store food, right? You need to store food. He says the seven years of famine are going to be so bad in verse 30 that they're going to, all the years of plenty are going to be forgotten. They're going to, you're just not going to remember any of that goodness. And, um, and, and he says, and, and it's going to happen very quickly and you should gather all this food and you should, you know, do stores. And then power's like, oh my gosh, this is just like amazing. It's like the most brilliant interpretation. I can't believe it. I can't believe it. And Yosef gets the job, right? So, so Chassidus ones are like, what's so amazing? see fat cows, you see skinny cows, you see fat corn, you see skinny corn. It's clearly somehow connected to food, right? It's going to be somehow food related. What was so, what was so amazing? And also they want to know how does Yosef, who's literally just got pulled out of a pit, how does he dare offer advice to Paro about what to do? So, so the Rebbe explains in the Sikha that it was part of the dream. And one of the things that Paro does not give over to Yosef but we have it the first time we hear the dream is, and this was actually the part that the, all his magicians and all people couldn't figure out. They, he saw the fat cows and the skinny cows standing next to each other. And then the skinny cows eat the fat cows and the rest is history, right? So Yossi says, the fact, everybody's questioning, how does it coexist? How do you have Plenty and starvation coexisting together. It doesn't make sense. So Yosef says that is part of the dream interpretation. You need to remember plenty. You, sorry, you need to remember starvation when you're in a time of plenty. When you're in this good place, you need to, you need to remember it's going to get bad and prepare for it, right? So what Yosef is telling, when Yosef says this is the interpretation, he's like, this was this was the dream. This was embedded in the dream. The solution is there. I'm not offering you my advice. I'm just continuing the interpretation of the dream. The interpretation of the dream is to have memory together, to not just be so in the moment that 
I can never see past this. It's only ever going to be wonderful or it's only, this is my interpretation. So either it's going to only be wonderful or it's only going to be terrible. It isn't like that. And Yosef says you need to have those head spaces. He's specifically talking obviously about the, talking about the, the years of plenty and the years of, of, of uh, famine. But we in our own lives, we have times when we are full and we are satiated and we are connected to Hashem and we are on fire and we were just like, you know, we're there, we're present. It's so good. We're, 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 we could feed the whole world. We're like on fire. Right. And then there are times, maybe it's not seven years and seven years, but then there's some times where we're just like, I, can't get out of I just don't want to move. Not I don't, I can't, I can't, I can't. And when we're in either of those headspaces, when that's all we can picture, we're losing sight of the bigger picture. And the bigger picture is when we are in a place of satiation, when we're in a place of spiritual satisfaction, not satisfaction like, oh, but like really feeling full spiritually, we're learning and we're doing and we're on fire. We need to put aside stores. We need to put aside reserves of that amazing energy because we know that something's going to come and we're not going to have it and we're going to need to be able to tap into it and 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 when we're in that place we have to know this isn't this isn't all it is it gets bigger it gets better it gets more beautiful the problem is when we're so sunken into our space right here right now and we can't see past it both for good or the or not for good then we're losing sight of, of what we need to be doing. And, and this is, this is, I'm going to give my little editorializing at this point. So you can take it or leave it, obviously, as you can take any, take or leave anything I'd say, but um, I think it's very, very, very important, especially when you're in a place of learning to have, besides whatever notes you're taking and whatever. And I think I spoke about this, but I'm going to speak about it again here because I think it fits in perfectly here. Um, you need to have a notebook or a file or something of things that you heard, whether from a teacher or from a student or someplace that were just like, wow, not just all the notes, you keep your notes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But there's also these things that just sort of like, it like feeds you in such a like, you know, amazing, positive thing. And you need to write it down someplace that's easily accessible because when you wake up in the morning and you're just like, why? you know, we're going to go for inspiration. You know, it takes energy to go to that file or to that notebook or whatever, but at least we know there's an easy place for us to go and say, wait a second, there's stuff, there's Torah, there's beauty. There are things that feed me. And, and in such an amazing way. And if you don't write it down, take it from the old lady, you will not remember anything. Things that you thought were amazing, life-changing. I will never, ever forget this. You will, you will forget them. I promise you, you will forget them unless it's recorded someplace. And, and you need to, you need to have a place to go back to. That's what Yosef is telling each and every one of us that when we're in a place of spiritual satiation, say that five times quickly, um, you need to, you need to store, you need to put stores aside for, for the lean times. And when things are not so beautiful and when things are not so amazing and where things are harder for you to be able to remind yourself but I know this isn't all. And I know that there's a place where I can, you know, I, I have my own personal things that really inspire me, not just like, you know, 
world peace for everybody. But there were the things that for me were spirit that, that really inspired me and really made a difference to me. Make a note of it someplace that's easy to find and, and be able to access it when you need to. So that was my two cents on the dreams. Um, at this point, we know that Yosef is going to like really start gathering tons of food and everything's going to be really good. Haro gives him a woman to marry. Who does he marry? Power changes his name. Um, in verse 45, Power changes his name. He calls him Stafnat Paner, and he gives him who to marry? Osnat Bat Potifera. What does Potifera sound a really lot like? Potifar. <laughs> Sounds a lot like Potifar, right? Um, and the Medrash actually tells us that, the, that which you, know, you got to think, that's got to be kind of awkward, right? If Potiphar's wife got Yosef thrown into jail and now he's marrying their daughter, that, that's got to be a little awkward. <laughs> <laughs> but the Medrash actually tells us that part of what Potiphar's wife was doing when she was trying to be with Yosef was that she saw a connection. She saw there was some kind of spiritual thing that she saw a connection, but she didn't realize that the connection was not with her, but from her daughter. Okay. It's from her daughter who is supposed to be connected to Yosef. And they're going to have two children before the famine starts. Who are their two children? In, in 51. No, 40. No, yeah, 51. Nun Aleph. He calls his oldest son. But who's his oldest son, actually? Menashe, right? Menashe is his older, his older son, and Ephraim is his younger son. And um, and Menasha is is named because he forgets that he forgets the pain of his father's home, right? This you know, and and Ephraim is he funny because I have been successful, I'm multiplying, I've been bountiful in this in this land, right? And um, we we know uh, just parenthetically, you know, like you know, spoiler to next two weeks when when Menasha and Ephraim are actually going to become Yaakov is going to take them as part of the tribes we have two ways of what how we need to have Jewish children right number one is that we need to remember we need to have this memory we need to be able to this the Menashe headspace of looking back to what was and building on that and Yosef is able to look back not in pain and not in you know it's it seems like a terrible thing because the pasuk says he says I forgot my father's house like clearly he didn't forget his father's house but Rashi and all the commentaries talk about that he forgot the the suffering and he forgot the pain and he's like holding on to the beauty the beautiful part of it that's one thing but that's we know that yet later on when Yaakov is going to bless them and when you said who are the children you said Ephraim and Manasha um, that Yaakov is actually going to switch it and that place as important as memory is. As important that is, and it is important. We're not discounting the place of memory. On the other hand, the more important place is how we move forward with it. You know, how do we how do we move forward with it? How does our Judaism move forward? How does our relationship with Hashem move forward? And one of the things that you know we talk about in our house a lot, so it's like not at all any kind of real source except my house. You know, like the the um, the fascination that. Jewish organizations have with Jewish continuity. It's not just enough that we just do Jewish continuity. The question is, how are we breaking out of the boundaries? How are we helping Judaism? 
how many, how many, uh, I was having a conversation with somebody recently about, you know, Holocaust memory. Just would never forget, never again, never again. Like that is very important and I'm not discounting at all. But if all we want to do is hold our numbers, we know the Jewish people must continue. That's, it's important. I'm not knocking it. Right. I'm not knocking it. I want to come across as knocking it. But is that how big we can dream is the only thing we can dream of is Jewish continuity or where's Jewish growth and Jewish exponential bounty. Ephraim is not just holding our fingers on so we don't fall off the edge of the uh, the, the edge of the cliff. Ephraim is like, boom, here we are. World Jews are proud and Jews are beautiful. And we're going to not just, oh, never again. It's important. But that's not all we're about. And, and Yosef does have two sons. He has Menashe and Ephraim. And, and Menashe is born first. Because in this, the order of how we do things, really, you need to remember where you come from. You need to know what your values are. You need to know who you are and what you are. And then you can build on that. But when we stop at just like, back in the shuttle, they did it this way and they did it that way. I'm like, yeah, but they didn't have penicillin or running water. So like, you know, we need to move forward a little bit. So where do we move forward? That's the Ephraim headspace. So that's kind of a little bit of my, my bracha to all of us that we both remember. And, but more than, more than just remember, you got to fly, you got to fly, you got to get bigger. You got to be, it's not just enough to redo what we've been doing. You have to just keep, we have to keep moving bigger and better than that. Um, and then Okay, so we pause Yosef and the family. We don't later on in another part. We're going to again hear about how much he gained, how much Yosef gathered, and everything like that. Um, Wait, how do we learn this Menashe? I'm not saying- so Menashe is a place of remembering. Right, he said. Right, Yosef says because Yosef Menashe is Kinashani uh, Kimber. I don't want to make up the pasta. Uh, I've forgotten my Hashem made me forget all my troubles and my father's house. Now, clearly he didn't forget his father's house because that would be a really, you know, it, and he would call him something else. He would call him, I don't know. I wouldn't say Christopher, but it's probably not that anymore. But you know what I mean? Like he didn't forget. He clearly is remembering, but he's forgetting the pain part of it. And the place that means he's remembering the good things. He's remembering he's you know, the nostalgic Jew, that's Menasha, which is it, but not just but to understand and 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 in the positive, in the super positive thing we talk about, the idea of Misora, the idea of tradition. Now it doesn't mean that we have to tradition, you know, there's certain things that we could like tweak with tradition, you know. So some one of one of our alumni, she has a uh, her hashtag on her pictures is like traditions by Julie, you know, like <laughs> making new traditions. There is a place where we get to to be innovative and creative, but there is also a place of wait a second, how do we do this? And that's that's the Menasha space. And the Ephraim place is how do we aim and look bigger? And that's I think today specifically, I think it's so important. I think like we 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 should remember, we should remember for sure. And I think that when we forget, that's the beginning of a lot of other things. You know, my husband once said, when Jewish people don't understand Jewish jokes, it's like, it's not a good sign. When you have to explain so many parts of the joke, it's like, it's not a good thing. But but that can't be all that our Judaism is. Our, our Judaism can't just be, you know, the shtetl and the Holocaust and lots of bagels. It has to be like, it has to be where are we moving forward and how are we growing from it. 
Um, what do you mean in terms of like people like being religious? Like, what are you talking about specifically? What about memory? Like growing, moving forward. What does that mean to you? What does it mean to me? You know, my mother, I remember my mother telling me about like in the early 50s, it must have been in the early, it must have been someplace in the 50s. She remembers coming to New York for like a Lagba Omer parade and how everybody was a little nervous walking in the streets, identifying themselves as Jewish in the 50s. Right. It was not that long after the Holocaust. And the Rebbe's message was you need to be proud Jews. You need to be proud Jews and not hide who you are and what you are. Um, and I think that there's a, there is this place of the place of Menasha is like, we're just going to like keep doing what we always did. We're just going to make sure things hold like in a positive, let's say, even in a positive sense, holding on to the status quo. That's a Menasha thing, but to be innovative and creative and say, how do we go bigger? How do we go out? How do we not just say it's not just about me? It's about me and my children, but like, you know, how do I say, how do I make Judaism vibrant and alive that my children want to be part of this? I have this conversation with my kids, right? They, one of the inherited memory, yid. <laughs> It's so hard to be a Jew. I'm like, who wants to be involved in religion that your motto is, it's so hard to be a Jew? Where is the joy? Where is the passion? Where is the fire? If we can't give that to our kids, if we're only doing it because, you know, back in the day they did this, back in, you know, 100 years ago, 50 years ago, 75 years ago, that's how they did it, then, then, in 2021, who wants to be involved in that? I don't want to just do this because the Jews were killed in the Holocaust and we were persecuted for our entire person, you know, our, our entire history. That's why I should keep mitzvahs because we were persecuted our whole everything. Do we have to remember? Yes, we have to remember. But I'm just saying, like, that's not the only reason we do things. If we can't give, Excuse me, if we can't give fire and passion and life and good reasons why we should be Jewish today, that's a fright. I could be, I could be wrong. This is my this is my take on the situation. You can absolutely 100 percent you know argue with me. I don't take offense at that. But to me, it's it's kind of very clear. Meaning, and both are very important. It's important to remember who we are and where we came from. And at the same time, we need to say, is this working for us today? How are we going to bring passion into our davening? How are we going to bring fire to our Shabbos table? How are we going to just not just, you know, because what worked once upon a time possibly isn't going to work today. <laughs> Maybe it is. And if it's working, then Sababa, I'm not saying you have to just throw everything out and start all over again for the sake of innovation. I'm not saying that. But I think to be able to, to say, Am I giving my children fire and excitement and passion about being Judy about being Jewish, or am I just saying this is how we always did it and that's how we have to do it from here forward? It's not true about anything that we do. Like everything is constantly being innovative and moving forward and progressing, and how we, except maybe a classroom, but even that, there's slowly there's slowly innovation coming into the classroom. You know what I mean? But like 
in every area of our life, we're saying, how do we do this better? How do we do this smarter? With the information that we have now, how do we make this more? Shouldn't we be doing that for our Judaism? Not just for our phones. How do we make this better? How do we make this more user-friendly? How do we make this easier to get across to other people? That's my, did I lose you? You're looking at me like- I mean, like the fact that we can now have a Sidora online. That's an example of the Ephraim. Possibly, possibly. But, but, but the question is, what is my relationship to the Sidor is my bigger question. If I'm just mumbling words that I don't actually know what I'm saying, that's, I'm not saying not to, you know, I'm not saying don't daven because you don't understand all of it and you don't know what, but because, but because we have access to so much knowledge, how are we enhancing our prayer. So then the fact that we have it available on our phone or online or wherever we are, that makes it easier. But if I, it's just, it's not just making it easier, but making it more. Does that make, I don't know. I don't know how to explain it. Like, no, nobody's be proud. Say it loud. Be proud. Like, even I'm saying like, even about the, even about the sitter, like I remember growing up and it was just a matter of like, these are the words and say the words and, and, and whatever. So yeah, you have to know what it means, but like that was kind of like not really maybe so much the focus. But I'm saying here, it's not just oh read the English and know what it means, but like to get it and to learn and to go deeper into what you're saying. Then you like you look back at the words like, oh my gosh, wow, that's what I mean. Not just like you know this is the same tune that we use and we always use it, and this I say to just say it, and it doesn't matter what we do with it. So the fact that now it becomes more real to me. So then the fact that it's on my phone or on my computer makes it easier for me to access, but I also have a deeper relationship with it. No, you're not hearing me. No, it's not just a habit. Like you're not just doing it out of habit. You're like, you understand what you're saying. And it just means a lot more than just doing it because you have to do it. Or because your grandmother did it. Right. Right. I mean, doing doing things because they always did it. Like I say, it doesn't always work. It's not always a good enough reason to to continue doing what you're doing. And the place of Ephraim is saying, how do we make it innovative? Parenthetically, to to add to your example of a computer, a sitter on the on the computer, there actually is a sitter. There's there's a Chabad pro, uh, project that I'm sure in other other communities also have it, but all the maimarim and everything that was connected to every single word they we have a sitter here that has like the the abridged version of it but they actually have a, a sitter online that you could click to links to the maimarim for every single thing now you can't daven like that because you, you'll never get past like you know the first three words you know but but that access of saying oh wait how do i expand this how do i make this bigger Yes, there's a sitter online. You could just click and get to other things and more things and whatever. So there's, you know, there, maybe that is kind of what you're saying. I don't know. I'm I, open. To, I'm open to suggestions. I hear you're saying that, like the fact that people are always doing this is not a good enough reason to keep doing things. Like okay. it's not a bad reason. I'm saying it's not a bad reason, but it's not that compelling to us. Correct. But also, like at the end of the day, we don't do mitzvahs because they're exciting like we're supposed to be doing it because god said so and that's i would argue is even less of like an understandable read that's even harder of a sell to most people i think right right but um if we if we and i think that we are very much in a in a world that is saying open your eyes and seeing how god is impacting your life 
over here and over there and over there. And the things that we want to chalk up to as coincidence and, and happenstance qualify its real name. You know, you got a parking space in Tel Aviv. That is an out and out miracle. That's like, that's not just, oh, it happened to happen. You know what I mean? Like to be able to open our eyes to, to the reality that things are happening around us that are, oh, wow. You know, that is, is saying, it's not just, oh God, who lives someplace there and, you know, looks at us like the little kids who play with their Legos and some people, that's not what it is. It's much more personal and dynamic and interactive. Um, I think that's a lot of what Hasidus came to teach us that God is invested in our lives and in our world in, a, in such a real way. Then you're like, oh God, oh, this is like, it's, 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 it's not an easy sell. <laughs> But it's but it's something I think we could see. It's something that that if we open our eyes, we are actually able to see how more of it is is real. Ladati, God is a hard sell because we have so many other names for Him today. So karma and chance and whatever, all those kind of words. So it's it's harder to see. And beseder. Then what happens over here in chapter forty-two? Yaakov sees that there is. Ryan, and he says to his children, why are you not going to get food? Um, he says that they're and one of the other meanings of Shever of food is Tikva. There's hope. He sees that there's something in Egypt for them. He does not identify it as Yosef, but he sees that there's something in Egypt for them. Um, and it's interesting because the whole conversation, like, why didn't the brothers go to get food? Meaning that this whole famine spread in the whole Fertile Crescent. Why aren't they going to get food? So, so Hasidus, it explains what is their direct experience with famine? What is the, what is the, how do you say it in plural? What is the brother's direct experience with famine? <laughs> right, all those words, right? What's their experience with famine? What happens to Avraham? Comes to the land of Israel, comes to, what was Canaan then? Right, comes to Canaan, there's a famine, what's he supposed to do? He goes to Egypt, and then when he comes back up, he's he, he's he's enriched, he's wealthy. What happens to Yitzchak? Famine in the land. He wants to go to he wants to go to. Cannot he wants to go down to Egypt? And what does Hashem say? What does Hashem say to Yitzchak? Can you go to Egypt? No. He no. Can't leave Israel. Yitzchak can't leave Israel, so he has to stay there. He stays in the country, and he becomes wealthy. So now it's their turn. They're the ones experiencing the famine. So they see famine equals test from God. So what do they do? They look around and they say, we have some food. We don't have a lot of food, but we have some food. And perhaps our test is to trust that God will make sure that this food satiates us for the amount of time that the famine is going to last. And they, so they say, why should we go? It's, it's, our, our test from Hashem in this famine is, will, he, will we trust him that this is going to last us? The brothers, those are the brothers. And Yaakov says to them, yeah, but no. <laughs> yes, like your logic is right. And that is perhaps the test. But because to everybody else around you, it looks like you're just being complacent and you're just being possibly, they're possibly looking at it as some kind of arrogance. It doesn't matter. Yes. So yes, you passed your test. You're trusting in God. You didn't run down immediately, but it's not, that's not how we do things in the world. And so they need to go down to, they go down to, to Mitzrayim and they have their first encounter with Yosef. And what happens when they, when they, when they see Yosef, 
A, they don't recognize him, but before they don't recognize him, what do they do to Yosef? They bow to Yosef. They bow down to Yosef. Now, you could look at the story of Yosef and his brothers and you could say, tit for tat. That was his dream. You could say, tit for tat, paying him back. They were nasty to him. He's going to be arrogant to them. But but a lot of them first should specifically talk about the idea that he saw the fulfillment of his dream and that that was an important thing. It was an important step in their development to be able to have the fulfillment of this dream. And if you remember, Yaakov also was waiting to see how this dream plays itself out. Yaakov's also waiting for this. So in this what week, no, no, Yaakov heard Yosef's dream last week. When Yaakov heard Yosef's dream, he's like, he was, he was dismissive of it to the brothers, but it says in the Pasuk, that he's watching, he's paying attention to see what's going to happen with this, mm-hmm. right? He is paying attention to the dream. There is something about this that is very, very important and he's waiting for it to happen. And so what Yosef is going to do now, and we're not going to get into the, we're going to get into one other idea, but not into the whole thing. So the brothers come, they don't recognize Yosef and they, and, and they, they come, they buy their food. Parenthetically, the Medrash tells us that Yaakov told the brothers not to go into Egypt together. There were 10 brothers going down. Binyamin was not going down. Yaakov says to them, don't go together. 10 big, strong, beautiful boys going together. He was nervous of like people looking and, you know, starting like, don't go together. The brothers also don't go in together and they are looking for Yosef. Medra says that they go down there looking for Yosef and they know that that's what Medra says, that they're going to look for Yosef. The last direction that he went was towards Egypt. They see how their father is still heartbroken so many years later. So they're going to look for Yosef. And so they spread out, they come through different entrances and they check the markets and they check the slave markets and they check the schleppers in the street. So wow. when they come, the Hey Kiru, they don't recognize their brother. So everyone's like, how do they not recognize their brother? So Rosh is like, oh, he had a beard. They, you know, they didn't, he left, he was 17. Now they're older. They, you know, they didn't recognize him like that. They didn't recognize their brother because in their wildest dreams, they did not imagine that he'd be up there, that he'd be up there a, a religious Jew, that he, that that's where he was going to be. They figured if he ends up in Egypt, He's going to be sweeping the floors. He'll be like, you know, the donkey herder. They don't picture him as the Moshel, as the leader of all of Egypt. They don't figure that that's what he's going to do. And Yosef always, his dream said that was where he was going to be. That was where he was going to be. That was what he was going to do. Not just in an arrogant kind of way, but in a how do we do Judaism way? And we spoke about it a little bit last week, but because it's starting to come here, what does it mean that the brothers bow to Yosef? What does it mean that they bow to him? It means that they they are not yet on a conscious level acknowledging because they're not, they don't know that it's Yosef, but they are acknowledging that the way of life that you could be in the halls of power and be a from Jew, you could be religious, you could have a relationship with Hashem, you could always know who you are is gonna be the, the headspace that is going to get us through exile more so than being a shepherd on the side and meditating all day long because you need to be able to interact with the world. If you don't know how to interact with the world, if you don't know how to, if you only know how to be Jewish in shepherd space, 
then how do you do it when you're a doctor and you're a lawyer and you're, and you're a judge on the Supreme Court? Like, how do you do that? We don't have a paradigm. The, the brothers did not have such a paradigm, but Yosef was a paradigm. And that's why Yaakov says about, spoiler for next two weeks, um, Yaakov says that Ephraim and Manasseh, who were born in Egypt with no family around, we need their DNA in the Jewish, in the, in the, in the tribe uh, gene pool, not just in the Jewish gene pool, but in the tribe, in the, in the spiritual DNA for all of Am Yisrael. We need to have that ability to be born in exile. We need to have that ability to be raised away from the center of holiness and still be recognizable and still have a relationship with Hashem and still have, you know, have that space of being who they are, knowing who they are and where they are. Yes, Menashe, yes, remembering where you come from. And yes, Ephraim, yes, moving forward. But absolutely, we need those as part of the as, as part of the Jewish DNA. And we know the end of the Parsha. What's the end of the Parsha? The end of the Parsha is the brothers are going to go. Well, first, they're going to go back home. After. They got the first account. They got the first load of food. They had this whole conversation with Yosef. And the Medrash actually says that, and he, you know, from the, you know, bring from, you know, hinging on verses here. Because the brothers come in from all different entrances and they're all, they're looking for Yosef. But Yosef knew that the famine had spread and he knew they, they had to come. They had to come. Now, do you think Yosef actually sold grain to every single person who came to Egypt? That doesn't actually make sense. But Yosef knew that the brothers are going to come and he's trying to find a way to get them. So when they come in from different entrances and he's going through the, you know, the passport control reports at the end of the day or whatever, and he sees that they all came in through different, different gates, he has them arrested as spies. And he said, you see, you're coming to spy out the land. And then they have the whole, they have that first encounter with Yosef when they don't know who he is. And he, they talk about their really 12 brothers and one is missing and one's with their father. So he says, here, buy your food, take your food. Don't come back without Benjamin. Without Benjamin. Don't come back without Benjamin. So they have this really, really weird encounter with Yosef. They have no <laughs> idea what's going on. He actually holds Shimon. He doesn't send Shimon back with them, right? Because he's nervous. You know, Shimon and Levi together, that is a bad combination. So he holds, on to, he holds on to Shimon. They go back. They go to Yaakov about this whole thing. And he's like, why did you tell them we have another brother? And they were trying to explain to him. And the puzzle, like, he knew so much about us. He was, he knew our birth order. He knew who we were. He knew so much about us. We couldn't lie to him. We couldn't lie to him. And so Yaakov doesn't want to, Yaakov doesn't want to, send them, doesn't want to send Benjamin. And the end after their food is really running out. So Yehuda says, I will take, I will guarantee the safety of Benjamin. Parenthetically, how old is Benjamin at this point? 17. Yosef sold when he's 17 years old. It's 22 years later, right? He had the 13 years. Benjamin was born when Yosef was about seven or eight years old. Oh, oh. he was already born. So Yosef, old. yeah, right, because Russell, Russell dies in childbirth. Yosef was seven or eight when when Benjamin is born. Okay, so he's seventeen when he's sold. So how old? So let's say Benjamin at that point is somebody whose math is better than mine. Follow along over here. Then Yosef is gone for twenty two years. He has the years. He's a big. He's a big guy. He's a guy. If he's thirty years, if Yosef is thirty, Yosef, Yosef is thirty. If Yosef is thirty. When he stands in front of Pyro, and then they have seven years of plenty and two years of famine. They're up to the second year of famine when the brothers come down. So he's 39. That puts Benjamin 
in his low 30s. Yeah. And they're treating him like this fragile little, we need to keep him in bowl wrap, we need to take care of him. Anyway, anyway, bottom line is that you just says, I will guarantee his safety. I will make sure that I right. And how does it end? How does it end? Puts the goblet in the yum and So the end of our parsha is we're and they still don't know that it's him. Right. So I want to just say one thing. Okay. This this I do not have an answer. So I'm giving you a question that I don't have the answer to. We know that when the brothers leave the first time on their way back to at, uh, on the way back to their father at the at wherever they stopped for the night, they opened up and everybody had the money that they had brought to pay for the food it was on the top of their bags. Okay. It's in the Torah. It tells us. How do you leave the second time and you don't check your bags? That's what I don't know the answer. They had this experience once, right? They had this, it's, it's like Hashem is setting this one up, right? They were drunk. They, uh, I don't know if they were drunk. They had a no, meal. To, they had a meal together. It says they they drank home. one. They drank yeah. one. But it doesn't, we don't know that they left right now. They didn't leave from the meal. They, were, they go. They, I, I don't know. Right? So we know that the end of this parsha is going to end up when they go chase them and they find the goblet. And Benjamin's bag, and what Yosef has been doing this whole time. Meaning, some of the some of the some of the more modern commentaries want to talk about, oh, tit for tat, he's just blah, 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 blah. but Hasidus says so. That's one. So that's what a lot of them say. He's getting revenge for them. Hasidus says he is putting the scenario together. He's pitting the children of Leah against the children of Rachel. Benjamin is the only surviving child of Rachel that they know of. They're the children of Leah. What happens when one of the children of Rachel becomes a liability to us? What are we going to do? Are we going to express regret and are we going to stand up for him? Or are we going to say, have a nice life? You're too much trouble. Because that's what they said to Le- that's what they said to Yosef. They said, This kid is trouble. We're getting him out. We're getting him out of here. And so everything that he's going to do with them, how he has a meal with them, how he gives Binyamin more, he gives the other ones less. Everything that he's doing is a replay of the sale. And he's saying, what happens when I show favoritism to one of Rachel's children? What are you going to do about it now? How are you going to respond to it now? What happens when, how did they know that Binyamin didn't take this goblet? They don't know. Maybe, maybe. You know, maybe he did. What's their response going to be? And if we see the end of our Parsha is going to be over here, they all immediately say, this isn't going down. We all are going back. And what's what's interesting is that Mikates actually ends in the middle of a conversation. Yehuda steps up to the plate. The end, they go back. He's like, they're like, no, 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 we're only going to take the thief. We're only going to take the thief. He's going to be our slave. And they're like, no, no, we're all going back. We're all going back. And we're going to fight for this. And the end of the end of me case ends where they say, the brothers say to Yosef, who they don't know who he is. They, they say to Yosef that we'll all be your slaves. And he finishes off and he says, no, 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 we would, that would be injustice. We can't do that. We're only going to take the thief and everybody else go back to your father. That's how the Parsha ends. It literally is ending in the middle of the conversation because the next Pasuk in the next Parsha is going to start that Yehuda steps forward to Yosef. That's next week's Parsha. Our story really is ending, right? I know. I, have, I don't know. I'm going to tell you the end. Um, um, what am I saying? The So when Yosef sets up the pieces to say, what is their response going to be? And they pass with flying colors. 
the whole way he's trying to say he's trying to get them to do shuva while they're here to say we made a mistake we did wrong and we're going to do better the next time around and that is exactly what he's that's what he's setting up the pieces for them and they do in fact pass with flying flying colors i want to say one little thing and then we're going to finish we know that in Hasidus, kesef is love right kesef it comes from the it comes silver uh, Kesef, which is silver, is love, and Zahav, which is gold, is fear. Love of Hashem and fear of Hashem are always referred to as silver and gold. So the silver is a love of Hashem. And you have a goblet that's filled normally with wine. That's what Yosef put into it. He put in wine. And wine, we know, is the secrets of Torah. And what happens, and kind of this whole conversation, the dreams and the dreams and the dreams and the dreams, we have this place of Gullus becomes this place of dreams, of this dreamlike not real state. It feels like everything's upside down. Things don't go as they are. It, it's all, we start our gullus with a dream. We come down because of dreams. We have more dreams, but there is something very powerful about a dream. The thing that is weird about a dream is the powerfulness of it as well, that things happen in dreams that don't make sense. In a dream, you could have things that you could, you know, the Gamargan's example of uh, an elephant passes through the ear of a needle, not through the ear, through the eye of a needle. It doesn't get small and big. It just, in a dream, that makes sense. You could see that happening in a dream. In real life, it doesn't happen. So the place of this goblet that's being held, that's being hidden by Binyamin is this place of a love of Hashem that in our dream somehow got hidden. In our gullus dream, it got hidden, this place that we have this innate love of Hashem. And when we can reveal that, when that comes to when that comes out, that we have this innate love of Hashem, we're able to do things, especially because we're in a dream, that don't make sense. Once upon a time, to go to the base Amikdash, you had to be very special. You had to be very holy. You had to have preparation. You had to, da, 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 da. You couldn't just have some encounter with Hashem. You had to like prep for it. But in Gullus, we just find this silver in our bags. We find this love of Hashem someplace in our bags. And we say, we could do this. We can have a relationship with Hashem. Yeah, we have stuff that's not fixed up. Yeah, we have stuff that isn't perfect, but it doesn't matter. We could still, that's the advantage of the dream that we're in now. This, not that it isn't real. Our goal is quite real, don't worry. But that, that, that ability to tap into a place of connection that doesn't make sense that's the positive dreamlike quality of our, of our, of our dream of our goals. Sorry. So when Yosef puts that, that silver goblet by Binyamin, and then it becomes revealed that we are that, we have that place where we can reveal this innate love of Hashem that we have. And when we do that, it breaks through all, all everything. And spoiler to next week, they're going to find out that they're not in fact being hunted down by some random crazy person, but it's actually their brother who's there trying to help them become their best version of themselves. And ultimately that's really what Kabbalah is for us. The things that look to us to be our biggest foes are really things that are meant to help us. They may not be our actual brothers, but they're things that are actually meant to help us bring out the best part of ourselves and the best quality of ourselves. I want to give us a bracha. It's Hanukkah. And it's Mikates. And we have this place of tapping into the positive dreamlike quality, the, pa- the place of tapping into this beautiful light that we have in us. We just have to like add a little bit of fire to the, to the, the oil and the, the wick and the, everything that we already have to be able to shine our light, to be able to reach for something bigger, to be able to not be happy with just 
doing what we've been doing till now, but to be able to reach for something bigger, reach for something more, to say we are capable of making an incredible difference for the Jewish people and for our relationship with Hashem. Have an awesome rest of the day. Thank you.